Good morning. I'm Scott, one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to uh, be with you this morning as we jump in, continuing in our series out of the book of Exodus. We're going to be looking today at the fourth of the Ten Commandments um, in Exodus 20. And this, this commandment, it is on keeping the Sabbath holy. Keeping the Sabbath holy. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term Sabbath, it represents this Hebrew word. It's, it is a Hebrew word that comes from Shabbat, okay, which means to cease or to rest. And it represents this idea that it's a day that's to be set aside from all work, to be set unto the Lord. And so I'm going to invite Kylie to come on up, and she's going to lead us in the reading from Exodus 20, verses 8, all the way through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the reading of God's word. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we are a community of people who believe that your word, the scriptures, are the inspired, without error, words of yours to the very hearts of people. And so I don't come this morning, and we don't come this morning, at least I hope not, flippantly. Uh, this is a terrifying thing sometimes, and, and should always be, to, to bear the weight of responsibility to communicate these transcendent words. But Lord, I'm thankful it's really not my job to convict hearts and Lord, I pray that we all come expectant, knowing that your spirit is here, longing to translate the depth and the meaning of these words into the experience of our lives, for the transforming of our minds, and for the renewing of our spirit. And I I pray that would be the case today, because we need it, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. So there are many different views when it comes to Sabbath in the scriptures and in the Christian community in general. Now, I picked up a book called Perspectives on the the Sabbath a few weeks ago in preparation for this message today. And and, uh, as I opened it, all 400 and some pages, and began to look at it, I was like, holy cow. Uh, this is a topic that has had so much scholarship and that has represents such a variety of opinions that uh, it was kind of overwhelming, I'll be honest with you. And so in order to help synthesize today's sermon, I am leaning on some of the writings of people who are far smarter than me, people like Sinclair Ferguson, Craig Blomberg, John MacArthur, as well as several others that you're going to hear quoted today. All of these men, again, are far wiser than me on this issue, so I'm thankful for their help in bringing this to you today. But I do want to encourage you, buckle up, because we're going to be rifling through quite a few different passages as we consider what it is that the Scriptures have to teach on this topic today. So feel free to keep your Bibles open. If you want to, you can kind of move through me quickly, uh, with me quickly through these texts, but they'll also be on the screen. Now, for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to 
boil down the multiplicity of views into two main views that are relevant to us today in, I think, modern Christianity. Uh, One is the Sabbatarian, and one is the fulfillment view. Now, people with the Sabbatarian view, they believe that the Sabbath law in Exodus 20, that it's still binding on all Christians, okay? Uh, One example of this would be the Seventh-day Adventists, okay? And I would push against whether they're really... Uh, They are not orthodox in Christianity at all, but they are known for this as Sabbatarians. And they set aside Saturday. It's a strict day for them to only worship and rest. And they do this because, according to the Jewish calendar, and really our calendar as well, the seventh day of the week is Saturday. So, again, they're Sabbatarians. They're following exactly what it is that Exodus 20 prescribed. Now, there's another Sabbatarian view. It's the Puritan view. And it's interesting that, that they also see this law is binding, except for the whole part about the seventh day. Um, the Puritans actually moved the Sabbath from the seventh to the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Okay, And why did they do that? It wasn't actually their idea in the first place. They did it because historically the church worshipped together on Sunday. They did this for a couple of reasons. One, they felt freedom to abandon the, the law and what it said about meeting on Saturday because they, they recognized that something had changed, and also because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. And so they started to gather on Sundays as a commemoration of that reality. And so, um, so the Puritans, they would say that the Sabbath is still binding, again, with the exception of the day it's prescribed. So that's a few examples of the Sabbatarian view. Now, the other major view is the fulfillment view. And this is the view that I'm going to kind of lay out for us in the scriptures uh, this morning as we explore the Sabbath in the Old Testament, in the Gospels, and then finally in the early church. So let's start our exploration by looking again at Exodus 20, verse 8. Okay, Because there we see the Jewish people receiving this command. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So remember it and set it aside as holy. It's a day dedicated for the sole purpose of resting. And who was this day for? Verse 10. It was for you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So everyone was to observe the Sabbath, even animals. And as I think about my dog, I think he's really good at this. He observes the Sabbath faithfully every day. But I think they're also referring here to working animals, right? So they were to, to leave aside their working animals. Also those non-Jewish visitors from out of town, right? They've got to observe the Sabbath. And it's worth noting here, though, that there is no mention of worshiping God, not in a formal sense as a community. So that idea wasn't even on the table. According to this command, the Sabbath was simply a day of rest. But there is more behind these words. And we see this in verse 11 because it's pointing us back somewhere else in scriptures. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what's this pointing us back to? It's pointing us back to the creation account in Genesis. So let's, let's look back there. Genesis 2. I'm going to walk us through verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the first thing to notice here, we saw this in Exodus 20 as well, but here's the word holy. It's to be a holy day. Now, what's really cool and kind of interesting about this in Genesis 3.3 is that it's the first time that the word holy was ever used. I should say Genesis 2.3. It's the first time the word holy was ever used in the Bible. So it means to be set apart. That's what holiness means or means to be elevated. And so what was it that was to be elevated amongst these days of creation? What was the seventh one? It was the Sabbath. And why was it to be set apart? Well, first, because God was done. He had finished. He was done creating. And second, it's because it was the day that God rested. Now, I've always thought that's interesting. God resting. What's up with that? Well, what it doesn't mean is that God was weary. Like he, man, I'm so tired after all this creating. I need a rest. And we know this because Isaiah 40, 28 says the Lord does not grow weary. Psalm 121, 4 says the Lord does not Sleep or slumber, right? Michael talked about that earlier. So a better way of understanding this idea that God rested, I I believe, is this. It's a period of time when he stopped, and in satisfaction, he looked back on all that he had made, and he said, wow, this is very, very good. So, So the purpose of that seventh day was for God to rest in absolute satisfaction for all he'd done. It's all about him. It's all about his faithfulness and what he had done. Now, it's worth noting in Genesis 2 that on this Sabbath rest day, there was no mention of Sabbath being a law. There's no mention of Sabbath being this organized day of worship. All we know is that it was the day God rested. So it's not till hundreds of years later In Exodus 16, when we hear about the Sabbath again in the scriptures, in the context of Israel, if you recall the story from weeks ago in our series, God was feeding Israel by giving them manna every day, except what? Except on the Sabbath. What would he do? He'd give them a double portion on Friday so they could sleep in on Saturday, right? They didn't have to get up, and, and after the dew left, they didn't have to gather the manna. No, they just simply took from their stores, and they ate and enjoyed So here, Sabbath is simply a day where the Jews are told not to work. But it's not a law yet. Not until Exodus 20. Now there's another important thing that we can learn about the Sabbath if we go ahead now to to Exodus 31. There's a little more information here. uh, Following along in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Okay, and then jump ahead to verse 16. Uh, Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. Listen closely. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. So here we see in verse 17, why was the Sabbath created? It was created as a sign. Okay, a sign points to something else. 
And, and God gives us lots of signs in the Old Testament, okay? After the flood, God gave a sign that he'd never destroy the world again. And what was that sign? A rainbow, right? Um, another sign was made. When, when God made this covenant to Abraham, he gave him a sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. So, so what sign was the Sabbath? What was it pointing to? Well, as we saw in Genesis 2, it was a sign pointing to creation. And so every Sabbath from that day forward, the Jews were supposed to rest and celebrate God as the the giver and the creator of all that is good in creation. Now, so though we aren't the original audience to these commands, okay, We, we understand this, there still is an idea here that's worth noting. It really landed on me in, in a new way as I studied this. You see, the Lord set aside a day a week for his people to stop, rest, and celebrate his good creation. Now, interestingly, one source that I read actually said that this was the idea behind the five-day work week here in the United States. It was with this principle in mind that that for five days we work, and then on Saturday, it's set aside to enjoy creation. And then on Sunday, it's set aside for worship. So consider with me how this principle might work out itself in your own life. Have you ever felt guilty for setting aside an entire day just to work in the garden? Setting aside an entire day to take a hike, or to kayak down the Yahara River. See, in light of this understanding of Sabbath, we need to stop feeling guilty about that kind of thing. We need to, we need to take time and enjoy God's goodness in the world he created. Now, there's an old story about the, the great reformer, John Knox, who he went to Geneva to visit John Calvin, another great reformer, And as he arrived upon his home on the Sabbath, he was shocked to find that Calvin was out playing lawn bowling. You see, Calvin knew what we should know. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do on a Sunday is play lawn games. Right? Amen? Uh, I had a pastor who used to always say, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do on Sunday is take a nap. Right? Amen? It's a good thing, it's a godly thing to regularly set aside time in your week to rest, to give glory to God, enjoying his creation. Now, in order to get a deeper understanding of the Sabbath, let's look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, okay? So we're going to start jumping in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, I don't have time time to unpack all of this today. But what we need to see here is that something changed in the midst of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament when Jesus hit the scene. All of the ceremonies and rituals of the Jews were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, When Jesus came, the trajectory of God's planet was pivoting. The laws were reaching a point of fulfillment where 
This is why we don't practice ceremonies of the temple anymore. This is why we aren't practicing the rites of atonement, the days of the festival. They were no longer needed because Jesus had come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now let's flush this out in a few other passages. In Matthew 12, 1, we see Jesus and his disciples. They're out gathering food on the Sabbath. Verse 1, at the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. That's worth noting. There actually wasn't a law against this in the scriptures at all. But the Jews had added endless restrictions to the Old Testament, and this was one of them. You can't pick food on the Sabbath. Verse 2, it continues. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did? When he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So Jesus was pointing out to the Pharisees that all the laws about the Sabbath that even the priests can't keep them as they perform all the rites and rituals of the temple. That's why it's kind of funny sometimes when a, when a literal Sabbatarian comes and says, how was your Sabbath? And I'm like, man, I was working all day, you know? That's what it means uh, for those who are, who are called into this unique position of ministry. And, and Jesus, he goes on to explain, though, what he's getting at here in verse 6. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So instead of debating the Pharisees on the finer points of the law and the violation of Sabbath, Jesus makes the statement, I can do whatever I want because I'm I'm Lord of the Sabbath. He's sovereign over the Sabbath. He is God. And this, again, it captures this idea, not only of the essence of who he is, but also that something is beginning to change, that, that the ceremonial system is coming to an end. Let's look at Mark 2, 27 and 28. Here we find Jesus in the exact same situation. His disciples are out picking food, and the Pharisees see it, and they get upset. And Jesus responds to their rebuke, citing, again, several examples about Jewish history and how people broke the Sabbath laws. And then he says this in verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, so here he was saying the Sabbath, it's not to be a burden. The Sabbath is not about rules. It's not about the law. Rather, the Sabbath was to be a delight, was to be something that we should enjoy. And then again, Jesus, he declares this idea, I'm sovereign over it. I am Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is teaching that Sabbath was given to be a blessing to man, to rest from work. And what I want to see us to see is this. In Matthew 12, in Mark 2, is that in both stories, the Jews had missed the point of the Sabbath. They'd entirely missed it. Because even on the Sabbath, there was no rest from their endless regulations, endless rules. Again, they'd completely lost the meaning of the day. Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest, 
Not a day of more and more rules. Now, I hope this morning we're willing to get honest. Okay, we like this at the vine, right? Let's get honest here. Let's get honest. Most of us struggle sitting still. Some of us, man, we've got this down. Maybe too much, some of us. But most of us struggle sitting still. What we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, why is this the case? Why is it so hard for me to sit still? Having struggled with this kind of thing a lot of my life, this workspace mindset, um, I've been driven to over-busyness. My wife, my family could tell you this. And I think there's two primary reasons for me that's the case. One is that I find comfort in being in control. A good plan brings me joy, okay, even on my day off, even on the Sabbath. And, and I, number two, not only do I like being in control, but number two, I like looking back at the end of the day, looking back at my work, mind you, and saying, it is very, very good. I love that. And I think some of you get that, right, that feeling. But do you see how this kind of thinking is the opposite of the principle of the Sabbath? Instead of finding comfort in our ability to control, our comfort is from the sovereign Lord over the Sabbath who controls and and works and plans for our good. We should look back at the end of a good day and, and our first response shouldn't be, man, I did a lot of good stuff today. Our response should be, God, you are good. What a good day. Glory to Jesus. But you see, this kind of thinking, isn't it? It's so opposite to our experience. It's so opposite to how it is that we live. So how is it that you're doing it resting? For some of you, this means you need to learn a lesson that I feel like I learned for the first time in a real deep way several years ago. And that is that you need to be able to slow down and sit on your deck or sit in the park for an hour or two, Bible open, praying to the Lord, meditating in his word. Again, I think if you're honest, some of you could, could say, I've never been able to do that. And that's, and that's a problem. That's a problem. This should be able to be a rhythm of our life. For some of, the, some of you, this means you need to quit doing so much, right? For some reason, we think we owe it to our kids to go from activity to activity, right? To busy ourselves. And, and, and I understand it's not easy. We had five kids, and we even said, okay, let's really limit one activity per kid at one time. But even then, it was hard. But, you know, you have permission. Just call the coach and say they're not going to be there today. It's okay. It's okay to do that sometimes. We need to work hard to press against the temptation to just be busy all the time. Now, for, for others of you, one more thought here is that what this principle of Sabbath means is that you need to not respond to crisis by getting busy fixing, right? But by slowing down, by praying by seeking the Father's comfort and guidance. And, and recently, the elder team, they've been challenging me in some areas of weakness in my leadership. And the theme I've appreciated in their challenge to me has been this. Slow down. 
Just slow down. Slow down. Don't get into fix-it mode, Scott. You love fix-it mode. Just listen and learn. Seek and pray. Give the Lord time to work. We all need to hear this. And you're in a church of leaders who believe this. Slow down. Seek the Lord. Seek his word. How is it that you need to push against the impulse to fix it, to control? Today, the Lord, he's inviting you to redefine the way you Sabbath. So what does the New Testament have to say? Okay, let's think about this for the early church. Let's quickly look at a few passages. So the first is Hebrews 3 and 4, okay? Now, this is our, I mean, Hebrews in general is a really really tricky book. It's not an easy book to understand. It takes a lot of work to dissect and really get at times what's being said. But I want to draw out a few points which I think are consistent with this section of scripture because the overall theme that we see is this. In these chapters, Jesus Christ gives the rest that neither Moses nor Joshua could provide. Okay? Uh, three, uh, chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Okay, so Moses, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. But this is cool. Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. Wow, this is a radical statement. This shows us Jesus provides something for us that Moses and his law could never provide. Okay, let's continue. Hebrews three sixteen through 19. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom Was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Okay, so let's boil that down. What what we see here is he's making all sorts of references to the Exodus here, right? The people of Israel. And he's saying that on the heels of Exodus from slavery, Israel was given Sabbath. They were extended Sabbath. But verse 18, Israel would not enter God's rest because of unbelief. Now what Sinclair Ferguson points out here was so cool. Um, If you look at all the words for rest in these chapters, what you see is that they're translated from the Greek word katapausis all except one of them. Okay, and that's in verse 11. Uh, Verse 11 of chapter 4, it says this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So what's this rest referring to? Well, if you look at the section, the rest is referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's this idea that Jesus... He, he died on the cross, bearing upon himself the sin that we deserve, or the punishment that we deserve for sin. And he rose from the dead, right, de- de- demolishing the power of sin and death so that all who trust in him by faith, they might have new life in him, receive forgiveness of sin, 
and then be sons and daughters adopted into a new family. That's the gospel narrative. And so the rest that he's referring to here, the author, is the gospel. And who is this written to? Well, it's written to Christians, right? It's written to those who are in Christ. And what word is used for rest here? Well, unlike the other references through chapters 3 and 4, the author of Hebrews describes this rest in Jesus using the Greek word for Sabbath. For Sabbath. So if we reread this verse that way, let us therefore strive to enter that gospel Sabbath so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. Point being, what's the Sabbath rest we're invited to? It's in Jesus. It's the gospel. Hey, surprise, surprise. I know you hear this all the time at the Vine, but this leads us right to the gospel. It does. Now let's look again. Just a couple more passages. Romans 14, 5 through 6. Let's flesh this out a little more. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. <coughs> Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now, these verses, they follow a section that's talking about the food laws, okay? So all of these regulations, there was concern, there was debate. What food laws should we follow? What should we not? And we see in verse 5 that Paul writes that some are concerned similarly about days, right? They're wrestling through Sabbath observance. Should it be Saturday? Should it be Sunday? And the point he's making here is that all of these things are part of a ceremonial system that no longer applies. So those of you who, are, who, who know you're free from these laws, you shouldn't make a big issue of them. This is not something, Vine Church, that we should divide over, right? However, okay, and because of that, if some of you are here today and you're a Sabbatarian, right? I'm presenting a, this fulfillment view, but some of us here are Sabbatarian. We have this strong conviction You know, we might be, if we're the business owner, we shut it down every Sunday. You know, and we might, even if we're not Sabbatarian, that might be the choice we should make. But the reality is, whatever your view is on the nuances of Sabbath, it's not going to divide us. That's not the point. And if we make that the point, then we've missed the entire purpose of the Sabbath. The point is this, that we embrace Sabbath is more important than how we embrace Sabbath. Let's look at Colossians 2, 11 through 13. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. So he's saying, some have set aside circumcision. And, and do it. Set aside it. And those who hold on to it, though, you need to see what matters is a circumcision not made of hands. And we see in the scripture, it's the circumcision ultimately of the heart. How? By faith through the powerful working of God. Let's continue in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or 
with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So here he's saying you shouldn't let anyone hold you to this idea of Sabbath as law. He's saying it's it's only a shadow. It's not the substance. That your hope for true Sabbath, it's found in the work of Jesus to save you from sin and welcome you into his family as a son and daughter. That's what it's all about. This is true Sabbath. That's true rest. And so though we should practice the principles of Sabbath in our life, I hope you heard that loud and clear. We really should. We also need to recognize that to keep Sabbath, it's more about our salvation. It's more about our position in Christ than it is about any law, anything at all that's to be observed. Now, we sang this song today, Reckless Love, and we sung it last week as well. And the word reckless, I mean, it doesn't really make sense unless you couch it in the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18. Here we see this heavenly father is a shepherd who, who so loves the lost sheep that he leaves the 99 and he descends the mountain, right, running for that one lost sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he rejoices for the lost is now found. Now, if you think about it, that shepherd is not doing a cost-benefit analysis, right? He's not. He's going against wisdom, leaving all the 99 vulnerable there. But you know, it's not really about that, is it? It's about, it's about this pursuit. It's a bit reckless, isn't it? I mean, it's going against human logic in this way. But what we need to see is that this kind of pursuit, this kind of love, is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And it's this understanding that God the Father, he pursues us. That God the Father adopts us. That God the Father accepts us through Christ. And it's this position of acceptance. It's it's in that place where Sabbath is found. The gospel is an invitation to Sabbath in God. And it's the gospel that is the fulfillment of Sabbath. So, is Sabbath ultimately about following a law? No. No, it's about a Savior who lived a perfect life in order to ransom you for God. So is Sabbath ultimately about going to church on Sunday? No. It's about a creation that is not only good, but is also groaning. It's groaning under the brokenness of sin, a deliverance which will come when? When the gospel work is consummated in a new heaven and new earth. And I can't wait to walk those gardens. What a beautiful day that's going to be. So is Sabbath ultimately about obeying a commandment? No. Sabbath is about a God who pursues us, though we couldn't earn it, though we don't deserve it. Sabbath is gospel rest. I want to end with this quote by Chan Kilgore. When we live our lives from the position of acceptance instead of the pursuit of acceptance, we allow the king of the universe to be lord of our 
calendars. We live in response to who Christ is and what he accomplished for us on the cross. We allow the Lord of the Sabbath to set our schedules, not the tyranny of the urgent. The gospel truth empowers us to say no to our compulsions and say yes to Christ. The gospel truth frees us to love people more deeply because we don't need them for our own acceptance. It frees us to love people when they are least capable of loving us and when they need our love the most. The gospel frees us to live our own lives, our lives out, in a radically different way. Do you hear that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, pray today for us. Lord, I pray that uh, this principle of Sabbath would land powerfully. Help us not to leave this room without feeling it, Lord. Some of us are in the midst of a lot of struggle. It's been a tough season. And Lord, we need Sabbath. We just need Sabbath. Because Sabbath is a shelter, really it is, in the midst of a life which tries to convince us that our value, our hope, our worth comes from the comfortable times. What a lie. What a lie. It's in the hardships of life and in the brokenness of this world where Sabbath is more clear and more meaningful than ever before. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would press into the nuances of our life and the knee-jerk responses of our life to want to find our value and find our sense of worth and purpose from controlling a calendar or from busying ourselves in order to look better to someone else. Lord, oh, I just pray that we would feel that rebuke strongly upon our spirit today, that you be Lord of our calendars, that we learn what it means to rest in you, not only spiritually but also practically in the day-to-day as we live out the full ramifications of this gospel work to transform lost and wounded hearts for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. Lord, help us to love one another in that and help us to live in freedom and in faith because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.